This is the first Sunday of the month, and we have chosen this first Sunday of every month to take communion, our Eucharist. And, you know, for several years, I preached a message about communion every, every Sunday. I got little papers like this in two, I got two notebooks full of messages and then some laying otherwise. And, uh, in fact, there's a book in the bookstore called the table that speaks. And that's what I call this, the table that speaks. And it's got 52 of those messages. But as I was meditating and thinking, you know, there's a, a lot of people that really don't understand about communion. And, and somebody asked me one time, how can you preach about communion so much? I said, actually, it's the gospel in the table. So I have decided today to talk to you about communion. Now, many of you know some things and some of you know a little bit and some know quite a bit and others are new and really don't. Uh, a lot of people really don't understand communion, but it is a command that Jesus instituted. Now, uh, Wes, hand me one, uh, one of those cups and one of those little wafers real quick, please. Thank you, buddy. case that's one of my five grandsons and I'm real privileged to have all five of them here in service this morning. <laughs> Lynette and I only had, we had a boy and a, and a girl and of course you saw Denise up here. That's my daughter and Denise Burns and uh, Pastor Denise, I call her. And uh, so she, Greg had three boys and Denise had two, so that that's uh, that was it. In fact, uh, Craig is Pastor Craig is preaching in Louisiana this morning, I think. Now, let's first read from Matthew about when the communion was instituted or originating. The, this. Uh, this writing can also be, be found in Mark's gospel, chapter 14, 12 through 16. Also in Luke, chapter 22, 7 through 13. But I'm going to read from Matthew, starting with verse 17. On the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, <clears throat> The Passover, for you that don't know, was a feast that God instituted when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage, and it was to be celebrated every year. I don't have time to teach on that, but I just 
let you know that this, this was a feast. And the, the practicing, real practicing Jewish people still honor this. Now, <clears throat> he replied, go into the city to a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Now, I'm reading out of the NIV this morning on this particular passage. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, I will tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to one another, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied them, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with, my, with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him to not be born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, yes, it's you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane and then from there, the trial and the crucifixion. Now, there's a statement here and we need maybe to clear that up. He said, I won't drink of this until the day when I drink it anew with you in the Father's kingdom. Many people think, and many theologians and people think that that refers to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm one that after studying, I, I, I lean to that also. Most evangelicals lean to that particular thing. But now, <clears throat> let's go read from the, new, from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 20 through 26. This is him relating this. You remember after Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus that he went and was in the Arabian desert for three years and there is where Christ met him and trained him. I don't have time to go all like that either. For I received from the Lord, and I'm reading the New King James on this. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after cup supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now it says as often as you do this. He didn't, there was no, nothing that said 
when we were supposed to do it. Some, some partake of the communion every time they come to service. Others do it at different times. Uh, the Smith Wigglesworth, the great English one that, that we have the book, Every Increasing Faith, and I suggest everybody read that. I know it's an older book, but man, it's got, it is really good. So we have chosen, like I said, the first Sunday of every month, and we have everybody in here, all of the children from first grade up are in here with us. So now, what I'm, I'm going to title this, Things That the Communion Is Saying to Us. Number one, the communion is a time of remembrance. Today, when you pick up this little wafer and when you hold the little cup of juice, it is to remind you of Jesus Christ and what was accomplished at Calvary. The beating and the stripes upon his back was for our healing. The shedding of the blood upon the cross was for our salvation. You know, Jesus Christ became our substitute. He was without sin, but he took it upon himself and went to the cross so we could have redemption. Now, 1 Peter 2, 24, we all know this. Who himself, himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, or the cross, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. That is a past tense expression, meaning that we are healed. All you have to do is believe it and accept it. I don't have time to teach on healing this morning. Now, when we eat this bread, it should remind us of that horrible beating that he took. In Isaiah, it says his vestige or his appearance was so marred you couldn't even recognize him. In fact, in an old book, it's very old. It's not even in print anymore. It's Gecky's Life of Christ. He talks about the fact that when they would give those beatings that many times it would wrap, wrap around from their back and rip open their stomach. It would get to their face. And that, that's a more descriptive uh, vision and puts... What Isaiah said when he said that he, you couldn't, I would say it in our language, you could, he was so marred you couldn't recognize him. And that goes right along with what Isaiah prophesied. And you realize the prophet Isaiah is the one that prophesied about the Messiah coming more than any other of the prophets. Okay. Now, you know, and the blood that flowed from Calvary. We sing the song, there is a fountain filled with blood. 
and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stain. You know, the blood of Jesus was shed for our remission of sin or our forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9, 22 in the NLT says, and well, the last clause of that verse says, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. As we drink this juice, it should remind us of what Christ did for us on Calvary. You know, many times, many people just, oh, it's communion time. And that's not the way it should be. So number two, communion is a time of examination. Therefore, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, we go on down into verse 28, and it says, a man or a person ought to examine theirself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. Now, as we share the communion today, we're not just, we're not fulfilling some ritual of the church. This is something that Christ himself instituted. We read it at the Passover. That was the Jewish Passover. For us that, be, are, that become born again from the Christ Jesus, this becomes our Passover, the communion. That's when he instituted this. Now, you know, this is a time of reflection and self-examination. Why do you do this? Well, when he talks about taking in an unworthy manner, he's talking about people that just say, oh, okay, let's hurry up and get this over with. That's, that's just the communion. They are not really looking at and thinking about the real meaning of the communion table. Basically, Paul is saying that if you eat the bread and drink from the cup without taking time to reflect on the seriousness of the cross, you're in taking it unworthily. Now, let's look at some things that we can examine ourselves with and find out if we need to. And that's why you examine yourself. You find out if you need to repent and say, and, and say, I'm sorry, Lord, and you're worthy then to receive. You know, having envy or strife in your heart against somebody. Just looking at, oh no, it's communion Sunday again. You know, just as looking at it as a mere ritual. It's not just a ritual. It is something that the word of God says to us that we are to do 
and then having an irreverence for the things of God. And then another one, of course, this would be really put you in an unworthy position, not, not repenting of your sins and accepting Christ. And then I'm going to say one now that probably going to affect all of us. Examining our life and our relationship with Christ. Oh, I got three amens out of this whole crowd. <laughs> I should have got more than that. <laughs> you know, we talk about relationships. How close a relationship do you have with him? Are you praying every day? Are you reading your word every day? Come on. Now, I'm not the one to judge whether you are to participate in communion or not. That is left to each one of us after we do what the Bible says we're supposed to do, examine ourselves. You know, after then we, we should know whether we should participate or not. And if you feel like maybe you shouldn't participate, it's very simple to get in, a, in, in line so that you can't participate. And that's simply by just saying, Lord, I had a problem, whatever your problem was, you know, and forgive me. And the word of God said, if we ask, he would forgive us. Now, let's think about something else. Communion is a time of participation. The Lord's Supper is precipitatory. When we look at these tables and there is the cup with a little grape juice in it and an unleavened wafer we should see that these elements represent the blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we begin to look at this And we begin to realize that as we see this, the word of God says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin or no forgiveness. We already said that. So because of the sacrifice that Christ made when he went to Calvary, he instituted this communion on the night that he knew that he was going to be betrayed. He went to the garden again. After he did this, he went to the garden of Gethsemane there he prayed the prayer. If it be possible, let this cup, but if not, I'll, I'll, I'll accept it. They came, 
They took him for a mock trial. They took him and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And these thorns there are not like thorns we have. They are a long thorn about that long. And they're very, very tough and hard to break. And when they shoved it down on his head, they pierced his scalp and the blood flowed. They plucked his beard. And if you've ever pulled your beard out, (laughs) it bleeds. They took him and they beat beat him with the whip of nine tails, they call it. Nine at the end of the the whip, they had nine different straps going out and on the end of each one of those straps was a lead, a lead ball that had glass and nails and all kinds of stuff in it that would just rip when it come. And when you, when you do a whip, if you know anything about doing a whip, you do it and you, cut, you throw it and you pop it back like that and it pops. Those old cowboys that are good, I grew up in Texas, I know a little bit about this, they can take a whip and cut a horse's flesh open with it or they can take a whip and flick a fly off of a... It's a matter of how you use the whip. Those Roman soldiers that did that, they knew how to use that whip properly. And then they took him out to the cross and they nailed him hands, his feet, stuck a sword in his side. And as he hung upon that cross and as the blood flowed, there's a song that we sing. I listen to it quite a bit because I, I like the song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. When he was on that cross, his mind was on the fact that I am doing this for humanity so that they can have salvation. And he utters the words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And with one last breath, he says, it's finished. And that was it. That holy of holies in the temple, curtain about three feet wide and I think around 20 feet long, something like that, ripped from top to bottom. Because you see, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was and that's where the power of God reside. And he said, God said, no longer will I reside there, but I will reside in the man that I created, the person that I created. And Paul says in his writings, what? No, you're not. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did all of this so we could have salvation and healing. So as we participate in communion,
together as the disciples did on that night he was betrayed. Let us remember he did it so we could have life and have it more abundantly according to John 10.10. 10. Number four, and we could go through several different things, but I just did four of them. Communion is a time of proclamation. Of course, we already read it. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Participating in communion is actually a proclamation. He's coming again. He died so we could live. He was raised from the dead so we could have salvation and live also. Today, as we look at these tables on each side here, as we look at the cup and the bread, you know what this represents? This represents the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the elements that we look at and are representatives that we can partake of that proclaims to us our salvation, our healing, and our soon coming king. But this table speaks of that to everyone that will receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The broken body, the shed blood, the broken body, Stripes on his back for our physical healing. The blood that flowed down that cross and onto the ground is a fountain that is still there today for anybody that will accept his salvation. So, I simply have said a few things that this table says to us, the communion says to us. And that's why I call it the table that speaks. Because without saying a word, it depicts what happened on Calvary. So today, let us remember what Christ has done for us. Let us examine and make sure that we're in proper relationship with Christ. And let us participate with gladness for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that, let's proclaim it to everybody we can. Jesus came, Jesus died. Jesus saves and Jesus 
is coming again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. This is a special day for us as we celebrate the communion and celebrate what you did so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. We thank you for that. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you happen to be in this congregation today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, or you know what it is to accept Christ, but you've sort of got off course and made a detour, you need to just rededicate your life to God. Anybody in the room, just do me a favor and raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anywhere in this room, hands over here, thank you. Thank you, upstairs, in the balcony, anyone? If that's you and you're watching online, we're going to pray a prayer. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Watching there or in this congregation, everybody repeat this prayer together. And if you're several that raised their hands in this room, repeat this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus. I believe that he died for my sin so that I can have life and have it more abundantly. You said in your holy word that if I would believe those things in my heart and confess them with my mouth, I would be saved. I thank you now. You have heard me confess with my mouth and I believe them in my heart. I am a new person in Christ. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.